From the Ohio School Boards Association, the recognized and respected voice of public education, this is Leading the Way. School board members question how they should meet in the middle of a pandemic. And a federal judge declares the state's new school territory transfer law unconstitutional. I'm OSBA Communication Manager Scott Gerfin. For school boards, the decision on whether to meet in person or virtually continues to be one of the top concerns we here at OSBA are hearing from board members. Cheryl Ryan, OSBA's Director of Board and Management Services, is one who's getting those questions and concerns. Well, Cheryl, I, I know you have a lot of uh, communication with our board members across the state. Uh, one particular question that's come up as districts start the new year is... Uh, how should the Board of Education meet? Or uh, as you put it, as we chatted earlier, to Zoom or not to Zoom. Uh, right now, I know boards are allowed to meet virtually through December 1st, 2020. But this is raising some questions. You know, it's a great question because prior to the pandemic, it was difficult, if not impossible, for publicly elected boards, much less school boards, to meet other than all together in one room. And certainly board members were not allowed to vote remotely and weren't counted for purposes of a quorum when that is necessary. So COVID and the pandemic brought a whole bunch of new stuff to our table. Um, now, since then, districts are all over the map on what they're doing with their students and their staff in terms of who is in the building, who is not in the building, classes and that kind of thing. And, and what we're hearing from board members reflects that same kind of all over the map situation. Right. So board members are continuing to be allowed, as you said, until December 1st of 2020 to meet all or in part virtually. And for some districts that provides some consternation because um, board members feel like if two or three of us are comfortable being together, we should all be together or we should all be remote. And if boards are still wanting to be all remote, it continues to be a question of, are we doing everything we can to be transparent, involve our community, allow people at our meetings for public participation, that kind of thing. So what we are seeing boards do, frankly, is... Um, a variety of things. And what we are advising boards to do is to just continue to communicate. When, right. when one board member feels still very unsure about being back in the boardroom, but the other four are happy to be back, um, the other four, one or more of those four, may feel like that fifth board member is holding out unnecessarily. And that can be frustrating for everybody. Right. So as always, the number one thing we want boards to do is to communicate. And it, when board members call and say, is it legal for her to still be meeting when she's living in Florida during the pandemic? Or is it legal right. for him to be at his house when the rest of us are in the boardroom? The answer is for right now, yes. So there really is no cut and dried advice except to try and be um, collaborative in a way that allows everybody to feel comfortable with the situation. Yeah. And you could, you, like you said, you could have a board member who has health concerns um, that's high risk. Certainly. Um, you could have a board member who, let's say your example, 
is in Florida right now because they've got to care for a family member who may be sick or, you know, there's all different kinds of situations right now and anything is possible. Absolutely. I talked with a board a week or two ago who said, we're okay with being back in the boardroom. And we feel like since our teachers are being asked to be back, we should be back. And I understand that. And I said, Hey, I'm with you. So what's your problem? And she said, well, our problem is with, with the limitations in our county still being no more than 10 people in a room, we can't allow all of our community that wants to be there to be with us like we can. We did it totally in Zoom. And I said, I said, yep, you're, you're right about that. And she said, our problem is for us to then have a tech person on hand to stream our meetings to the community uh, when all of the board members are in the boardroom adds a cost and a burden on our staff that we're unhappy about. So we're thinking we might just go back to all of us being Zoom so that our, our large community can participate, but we're worried that it sends a bad signal to our teachers. Right. So, and the, te- the technology thing, too, comes up uh, here in Ohio because there are some parts of the state, too, that, that don't have good Internet access. So that can re- create a challenge, too, in terms of reaching the community. Absolutely. So, yeah, broadband still con- con- is continued to be an issue in many parts of our of our community. And so uh, there's there are even a couple of districts in Ohio where community members are being invited to the school for the board meeting. And then they are just distributing them among uh, a variety of classrooms and other open spaces in the building to maintain the, wow. the 10 rule and the social distancing. So if the Board of Education agrees to return to in-person meetings, but its community can't be present, what you were just talking about, um, is a virtual meeting the easier call? Basically, it's the collaboration and communication. Right. Um, and... Um, certainly continuing to pay attention to your own community and your own county's health guidelines, that can also be a moving target. I I think the takeaway message is that none of us probably should get too comfortable or too settled with the way we're running, running our meetings right now, because next month it could be, it could be different again. We could all be remote again, or if the trend continues in the way we all hope it does, uh, we may no longer need to ask these questions. Everybody may feel comfortable being back in the building again with appropriate precautions. So I, I wanted to mention, uh, Cheryl, uh, you also addressed this topic in our school management news uh, publication, which um, uh, districts can subscribe to. And you went into this uh, in even greater detail. Uh, like you said, the number one thing is communication and that leadership teams you know, they have to have that at their fingertips. Keep talking. Um, what are some of the other things? I thought it was interesting. You also talked about inviting local experts from some social agencies into your into board meetings to provide updates, say from the, the health department, so to speak. One of the things that we have all been frustrated with during this pandemic has been the insulation we all feel in terms of physically seeing and being with other people. And for board members, that's exacerbated because one of their biggest goals is to be in touch with staff members and community members and to be seen and to be able to listen to to people in their community. So 
uh, I would encourage whether a board is still meeting remotely or whether you are meeting in person is to invite others into your board meeting that have a different perspective, but also that really important pulse on what's happening in the community. So maybe it's a food pantry, maybe it's the Rotary Club, maybe it is the mayor or somebody from your village council who can share what they are doing to help support the community right. and to stay in touch with the community. That's good advice. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on with you uh, before uh, I let you go is uh, the new OSBA awards program. It's our star awards program. This is something uh, that the board of trustees proved. Just maybe talk about this. This is a new way now that board members can earn awards or our, our master board member honor now uh, is replaced by the star awards program. Tell me right. a little about the, the, the reason why we went this direction and, and what members do now. Well, the main reason that we've made some changes is the board of trustees a few years ago now um, asked themselves the question about, as they do all the time, about whether um, our programs and services are continuing to meet the needs of our members. And one of those is our awards programs which are really popular with some of our members and um, are less important to other members, like, right. like many of the other things we do. And we started looking in particular at programs like our Master Board Member Award and our Award of Achievement. And we determined that there were lots and lots of new things that board members do to train themselves or to provide service that weren't um, being they weren't sort of being given credit for if you look at it from the awards perspective. And so we determined to uh, be more inclusive and be more relevant about the activities that seem to be most important to board members because we would like to value their contributions in terms of professional development and governance and service. So our new STAR program takes the old award of achievement and divides it into a service component and a training component and allows members to earn points for all the things they do, both uh, with OSBA and in their own community and with other organizations, maybe like NSBA, that will um, get them awards that would eventually lead, if they, if they so choose, to the completion of the Master Board Member Award um, which is uh, an award that recognizes outstanding accomplishment by any individual board member in um, the full breadth of, of governance activities. So, and this breaks down into four things. There's service, which represents the star. There's service, training, aptitude, and recognition. And you have to complete all these to, that's how you get to be master board member, correct? Exactly. So, there's a service award and a training award, which I just mentioned. Right. There is an aptitude award, which will be given to any board member who passes an assessment online that we'll be offering in the summer beginning in June 2021. And then there is a recognition award. And that is an award that would be bestowed upon a board member by his or her district colleagues who uh, would like to recognize that board member's um, contributions to the school district and to the community. And once a board member has, has received the S, the T, the A, and the R 
he or she will become a master board member. And, and just looking at these requirements. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take some, some work, uh, which, you know, to get, to get to be, to become a master board member. Sure. I, I mean, and, and it should truly. Right. So right. we're excited to bestow the master board member award for board members. And I want to think that any board member who truly gets involved, who, who really uh, devotes themselves to the governance um, skill areas that, that we've outlined on our website and through this program and really wants to learn about things like current legislation, who wants to understand very, very clearly the role of the board member in student achievement. All of those kinds of things right. will come by these points naturally and will earn, we'll earn these awards kind of um, almost second, it'll, it'll be second nature to them. And right. truly for most board members, they're not, they're not board members because they want awards. But if we can recognize the kind of contributions our board members make, why not? Absolutely. And I want to mention uh, Cheryl's, uh, Cheryl's recorded a webinar that uh, will be available on our website, ohioschoolboards.org. And I'll also uh, put some of the links to that information in our podcast show notes, as well as some more links to each of these service awards in the Star Wars program. Cheryl, uh, thanks again for coming on Leading the Way. Uh, I know you've been on before, and I know this won't be your last appearance on Leading the Way. <laughs> well, I always appreciate your asking, and certainly we're here for all of our board members and um, appreciate the questions, and, and, and thanks to you as well. Coming up, a federal judge strikes down an Ohio law, a decision that halts school territory transfers. We'll ask OSBA's chief legal counsel, Sarah Clark, about it next on OSBA's Leading the Way. The 2020 OSBA Capital Conference and Trade Show is November 7th through the 10th. We're gearing up to provide attendees with more access to learning opportunities, trade show exhibitors, keynote speakers, student programs and performing groups, and numerous opportunities to network with school district leaders across the state. And you can do it all from the comfort of your home or office. Find inspiration and refresh your commitment to your students, schools, and communities. Register for the OSBA Capital Conference at conference.ohioschoolboards.org. Welcome back to OSBA's Leading the Way. A federal judge has reversed a state law, making it unconstitutional for territories to vote to leave their home school district. OSBA's chief legal counsel, Sarah Clark, is here to break it all down. Let's first outline the case for our listeners. Uh, who brought the lawsuit and, and why? Okay, so so this is a case that actually originated back in 2019. Um, language was added to the budget bill, which was House Bill 166. And that language radically changed the, the school district transfer procedures and by adding this new mechanism for um, allowing people to, to transfer territory. So the, the language that was added eventually became uh, revised code section 3311242. Um, and what it did was it allowed residents of a township that was located in more than one school district to basically vote to move their property from one school district to another. Um, existing law actually already allowed for this. And there are statutes in place already that require the State Board of Education to actually get involved in that process and approve transfers of territory from one school district to another. So this bypassed this, that process. Mm. 
and permitted the residents um, themselves to basically ensure a transfer to um, an adjoining school district. So this language was introduced. It was passed in July of 2019. And immediately after it became effective, a group of homeowners from the village of Hills and Dales used the process um, and requested that their territory be transferred from the Plain Local School District to the Jackson Local School District. Um, Plain Local, I read some somewhere that they would have lost about $600,000 as a result of this territory oh, transfer. Wow. Yeah. So they filed suit in federal court to block the transfer from taking place. Um, and basically what their argument was, is that they, they said that the new process denied them the due process that was um, set up under the old existing law. And also that the transfer proposals uh, that were in place for their district specifically were motivated by a desire to transfer from a more racially and socially economical uh, diverse school system to one that was richer and whiter. So essentially they argued that if this was allowed, the transfer would increase segregation and undermine students' rights to an equal education. So can you explain how uh, OSBA got involved? We were, yes. So we um, provided an amicus brief, which is a friend of the court brief that basically um, made the arguments or supported the arguments that the district were making in the case. So we, we highlighted um, the fact that this was a, you know, a bill that uh, was added at the 11th hour that um, it, it, you know, there were already existing processes in place to do what they wanted to do, and that this was really designed to do exactly what Plain Local was suggesting. It was, um, you know, to fast track this process, make sure that there wasn't those two process systems. I think at the State Board of Education level, there's a 20 step factor uh, test that they walk <laughs> through to say, yes, this transfer is appropriate, no, there's not. Well, obviously, none of that is in existence. And uh, this new process that was outlined. Um, so we uh, filed an amicus brief to basically say this is this is not an appropriate mechanism and plain local uh, should um, prevail on their arguments that they were making in the lawsuit. So uh, a, a judge uh, did issue a decision here recently. Can you explain what that was? Yeah, sure. So last Friday, which was September 11th, um, Judge Michael Watson, who's actually a judge with the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Ohio, um, rendered an opinion in this case. So the lawsuit that was filed last fall, um, we finally got a decision on. Um, and in that opinion, what he basically said was that this inclusion of this new transfer statute in the budget bill was a violation of the Ohio Constitution's one subject rule. And what that rule basically says is that um, a, a bill, no bill, shall contain more than one subject. Um, and the intent behind that rule is to limit the presentation to one subject, the, the, the presentation of a, a piece of a, a bill or a, a piece of legislation, so that the issues that are outlined in that bill can be better understood and more intelligently discussed. So it's really designed to prevent potential legislative abuse. So, you know, last minute consideration of important measures, um, you know, low vis visibility of the types of things that are included in bills uh, and the attachment of seemingly unrelated provisions in the amendment process. So he issues this opinion and he said that those are exactly the types of things that were occurring here. So the language that was added, um, this transfer territory transfer language was significant and it was substantive and it was incredibly controversial and it was an amendment that was added to House Bill 166 as a as a I think his language was a mere rider uh, that was basically um, sneakily I don't know if that's a word but sneakily added to the budget <laughs> bill to secure its passage um, and so they. 
they found the court found that that um, you know that language didn't really have a legitimate relationship to the state right. budget bill and really shouldn't have been tucked into this you know twenty six hundred page budget bill. So uh, this is a, a statute. You know, we kind of just talked about this, but it, it created an entirely new manner for allowing school district transfers. And so it was controversial. It was a significant change for Ohio schools. And the judge said that there's not really a common purpose or a relationship between this transfer statute and the state budget. And so this piece of, you know, this controversial, this significant piece of legislation doesn't belong hidden away in the budget bill. So he found that it yeah. violated the Ohio Constitution's one subject rule and struck it as down as unconstitutional. So what does this mean now uh, for Ohio districts? So it stops the territory transfers that were initiated right. under the statute. So in addition, actually, in addition to the one for Hills and Dales that they received, there were actually five other petitions that were filed where residents went through this process of trying to transfer their property from one district to another. So there's six kind of that have gone through this process now, and this basically prevents those from moving forward. Um, there were also two territory transfer proposals that were supposed to be on the ballot in November. Um, so this decision removes or stops the statutory authority for those proposals to approve on the November ballot. Uh, although it's possible and we're kind of having conversations about um, what this actually looks like practically because it's, it's possible that voters are still going to see those issues on their ballots just to the, the issues of timing of this decision and when those oh. ballot forms were printed. But, it, but essentially, it stops the transfers requests that were in various stages of this process from proceeding, and then it stops any future territory transfer requests from appearing on the ballot under this statute. Uh, now, this might be a stupid question because it, it's, it's a case. Uh, can it be appealed? I assume it can be, right? There, yeah, correct. There are no stupid questions, Scott. And, <laughs> and you are correct. This is a case. So this is at the district level, so it can be appealed. Um, to the Court of Appeals. And uh, it's, yes, it's eligible to do that. So the, the one question too is now, can this legislation uh, be introduced in a standalone bill, like as a separate bill? You mentioned it was put into the budget bill. Right. Yeah. 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 So the court's decision didn't directly rule on the substantive merits of the case. And so, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning, this, this is uh, the original arguments of the district in this case were that the law could increase segregation and undermine the rights to the equal students' rights to an equal education. So the court didn't get into any of that. They didn't reach a decision on whether or not this was appropriate legislation or whether or not it was, you know, something that was actually what the intent behind what it's doing was inappropriate. So, so what that means is that this is a this is a procedural uh, matter basically, and so that allows the Ohio legislature to reintroduce the law in another piece of legislation, which, you know, does have a legitimate connection or some sort of attempt uh, mm. to uh, connect it to a bigger piece of uh, legislation that's more in line with the purpose of this, or they could, as you said, introduce it as a, a standalone bill. So this may not be the last time that we see this language, but again, it's, it's stopped for now. And Friday's decision is a good decision for our members. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about just briefly before I let you go is is the Legal Assistance Fund, and that that really helps uh, OSBA uh, get involved in some of these cases. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, it, Legal Assistance Fund is a trust fund of the Ohio School Boards Association, and uh, it provides assistance in cases exactly like this. I mentioned earlier that this was a case that um, that the Legal Assistance Fund was involved in, and it's been around since I think 1976. And since that time mm. has participated in 
hundreds of cases um, and litigation that involves matter of statewide significance that involves uh, boards of education. So uh, it's it's designed and established for the sole purpose of providing assistance to boards of education when they are sued and or when they in this case when they are the ones who are suing. So uh, it you know provides um, an amicus brief. It also we can provide financial assistance um, and we can just provide some some research or support. Uh, and like I said, has provided lots of assistance um, over the last 40 plus years to school districts in that area. So tremendous resource. And actually in this case, um, they, the court actually cited to OSBA's amicus brief um, as evidence of the fact that this was a controversial piece of legislation so that there were people who were interested in this and, and you know, outside of these two districts, um, mm. just to say this really did sort of de deserve some additional attention uh, and, you know, this is a controversial amendment because you have all these people, including all these amicus uh, uh, briefs that were filed um, saying, you know, this is a problem and this shouldn't go forward. So they do actually make a difference in the cases and um, are, are cited and relied on by the courts uh, that are, are and the judges who are deciding um, how the cases should end up. So I encourage people to and we have certainly have information on OSBA's website. So I encourage you to check that out. And certainly you can reach out to the legal division for more information about what that process looks like and how you can request that assistance. Uh, Sarah, uh, interesting case, uh, but I'm sure you've been involved in many others <laughs> that are interesting <laughs> as well. And it sounds like, uh, as you mentioned, a uh, lot, lot of ways to go yet, it sounds like. or we don't. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly we mentioned it could be appealed if that happens, OSBA's legal division and the legislative division um, we'll certainly stay on top of that and provide updates as we um, are aware of them. I know that the legislative division continues to work on this from a legislative front. So if that right. does get introduced as a standalone bill or as part of something else, I'm sure that they'll be on it and uh, provide that information so that there's an opportunity. You know, there will be an opportunity at that point for, for districts to um, provide testimony sure. and input about the impact. So lots of opportunities. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it and certainly keep everybody in the loop. Sarah, thanks again. Always, uh, always delivering great information here on uh, OSBA's Leading the Way. Thanks again. Thank you.